So the reading is from Genesis uh, chapter 12, and it's on page 13 in your Bibles. Nice and easy to find. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew, Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued towards the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you're my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants and maidservants and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me, he said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? So that I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. This is the word of the Lord. And thank you, Clay, for that absolutely beautiful reading. Let's pray. Well, Father God, we do give thanks for your word. And we ask now that you would send your spirit upon us, open our hearts and open our minds Open our ears and open my lips, and may we hear the things that you want us to hear today and let go of the things that you want us to forget. In the name of Jesus, your Son. Amen. 
You know, there's so many beautiful things that you see in church on an average Sunday. For me, seeing things like kids running around, kids making noise, kids praising the name of the Lord in their own way is sensational. It really reminds me why I love doing this job and what I do and why I love the whole concept of church family. I'm watching today Toby and Ezra open up their Bibles and all these other kids just swarm around them to have a look as well at what's going on. And I did think, I wonder if, wouldn't it be great if we as adults had that same enthusiasm for the Bible as well? And in that image, I was reminded of this incredible verse from the New Testament to Timothy chapter 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is breathed by God, but some bits stand out more than others. The narrative to do with Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection will stand out more to us than perhaps the long list of names that we see in the New Testament. It's all equally gone breathed, all equally inspired, but some of it has more of an effect than others. And this year, as an LMA and here in St. Mike's, as we go through the Bible again, and as we think about the theme of mission and joining God in his mission, as we've been doing since the start of the year, understanding those key texts is crucial as well. And Claire this morning has read out an incredibly key text to us in the story of our salvation. And you can sense the breath of God in every word that was read aloud. As you saw up on the screen, this was in page 13, chapter 12 of our Bible. So pretty early doors in the story of scripture. But it is significant because in so many ways, this is where God starts his plan for redemption for the world. Just a few pages before this particular passage and the call of Abraham, we read in Genesis about how the world ended up in such a mess, how humans fell into sin, how we were called the fall came, and how God needed, essentially, to do something to put it right. And here... In chapter 12, he begins that process. He calls this man Abraham, or Abraham, as he would become. Abraham would be the patriarch, the father of the nation of Israel. The people of Israel would be given a law and be called by God to shine a light in the world, to demonstrate the power and the love of God in the world. They would be a people who were blessed to be a blessing to the world. Out of that nation would come the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And he would bring about redemption for the world. And through him, all people, Jew and Gentile, could come into the same promise. To be forgiven for sins. To have the gift of eternal life. The power of the gospel. And it begins here. A journey that took many thousands of years and a journey which still continues today as we wait for Christ's return. The journey, the plan that God has to bring redemption to the world. 
it started in this small, humble way with the call of just one man, Abraham. And at the beginning of this week, when I started to look at this particular passage, I was quite enthused. And I was looking and I thought, I'm going to be a bit positive today. I'm going to say some really nice things about what it means to be called by God, what it means to be a missioner in this world, and what it means to do God's work in the world and make the world a better place because we belong to God. But as the week went on, and as I reread this story, The Call of Abraham, I came to the conclusion that being a Christian and being in mission, for that matter, is just a bit rubbish. And I'll tell you for why. Here's three reasons why. Being a missionary for the Lord, and by virtue of that, being a follower of the Lord, is rubbish. To begin with, it required sacrifice. Look at Abram in this particular passage. He was doing all right for himself. He had a lovely farm in Haran. He had a wife that he was devoted to. He had land, he had sheep, he had animals. According to the customs of the ancient world, he was rich in every way. He was a successful man. And all was going tickety-boo until God called him to do what he had to do. Telling him to up stakes, take his nephew Lot, and go to the land of Canaan. The land of Canaan, that will become the land of the people of Israel. The land of Canaan, that <clears throat> would become for him and his descendants. It sounds like a lovely thing, doesn't it, to be called by God, to do this kind of thing. But when you think about it, it was probably a bit rubbish for him. How much nicer would it have been to keep a nice life? To keep life how you want it to be. To keep life there. He would have done all right. He was 74, doing well for himself. He could have stayed there till he died. Clearly faithful to God and things going well. But the Lord required something more from him. And the Lord required sacrifice. The Lord required him, in order to carry out his redemptive plan for the world, to get up, take his family and move. And that was a huge sacrifice for him. And actually for us, so often, if we want to see God move, we also need to do something sacrificial as well. Basically, we need to give. Now here's a truth of the church that I don't like saying, but it is a truth. Mission costs money. If you want to see God's kingdom grow, if you want to do good things, it costs money. When we run things like the well, which we love running, it costs money. When we run parents and toddlers, like running, it costs money. When we run our youth, it costs money. When we turn this church on and put the heat on, guess what? It costs money. <laughs> when we open up our doors every day and invite people in, it costs money. In order to engage and do the things of mission, we have to be willing to give. But that's only the start of it. Money is one thing, but time is something else. In order to physically do the work of God, it takes a sacrifice of time. We need to be willing to do for ourselves. We need to be willing to get up and help. 
We need to be willing to volunteer. We need to be willing to engage with other people. At times, we need to be willing to have awkward conversations. We need to be willing to help inside the church and with things going outside the church. And often, all we want to do is not do those things, but watch telly. It is a sacrifice, and it's not always easy. In fact, often, it's hard. Then there's personal relationships going on as well. For so many of us, Sunday, for example, is a time to come together as a family after a hard week and see friends, sit in the place where we always sit, gather with the people who we know and gather, and even though we know it's all right and right to speak to someone who might be visiting or new to church or even on the edge of faith, we don't want to do it. And we don't want to do it because we've had a hard week and we just want to see our friends. It takes a sacrifice to engage with new people. It is a sacrifice to do the work of mission. And that's just the beginning of it. If we really want to see God move, there are so many other ways in which we need to make sacrifices. There are sacrifices that we need to make in order for God's kingdom to grow. And that was the truth as it was for Abraham. But it's the truth for everyone in Scripture, pretty much, who has done the work and the will of God. If we carry on with the narrative of the Bible, we see the prophets who had to make sacrifices. We saw Moses, an aristocrat basically in Egypt, who made the sacrifice to lead the people of Israel. When we kick on in the New Testament, we see the apostles giving up their fishing, giving up their jobs, giving up their livelihoods to follow Jesus. We see Paul giving up his status as a Pharisee in order to do the work of Jesus. Do you see what I mean? It takes a sacrifice. It takes a bit of work. We can't just wait for people to come to us. We just can't wait for things to happen. We have to be willing to go out and do. Earlier on when we sang Here is Love and we had a little think about the Welsh revival, in one sense that happened because God's spirit fell on the land, but in another sense it took the sacrifice of many people who were willing to go out and proclaim the gospel. It took the sacrifice of people who were willing to take the time to pray. It took the sacrifice of people who were willing to do, go to awkward places and have awkward conversations. It took time. It took effort. And so often, we can't be bothered with it. It is a sacrifice for a reason because it's hard. It was hard for Abraham and it is hard for us. And if we're being honest, it is just a bit rubbish. And it's the first reason why being a Christian, and indeed a Christian who wants to see God's kingdom grow, is completely and utterly rubbish. The second reason is happiness. And the fact that there's no guarantee of happiness. Abraham gets up, does the work of God. He goes to Canaan. He's got Lot with him. He's got his wife with him. He's having a look around. Then trouble comes and he has to run off to Egypt. What happens in Egypt? He's scared for his life. He even ends up lying to say that his wife is his sister. 
so as not to get into any kind of trouble. That ain't a nice story. That isn't a picture of happiness and bliss and joy. That is a struggle. Just a couple of weeks ago, um, a very good friend of mine invited me to go onto his podcast. And on his podcast, him and another kind of early middle-aged bloke talk about life and getting their heads around it. And they wanted to speak about the theme of happiness. And me being a man of the cloth, they invited me on to basically, or they assumed to say that being a Christian makes you happy. And what I kind of said was, you know what? Being a Christian brings me joy that I can't explain. Being a Christian gives me the comfort and the safety that I can't explain. But I don't think that being a Christian is about making me happy. Being a Christian for me is about working to serve the Lord. Acknowledging what the Lord has done for me and dedicating my life in service to him. I said, looking through the New Testament certainly, it's very hard to see an example of somebody whose life was made better in an earthly, human, happy way by being a follower of Jesus. As you say, Peter, would his life have been easier? Would he have been happier if he had stayed on the boat, run a nice fishing business, stayed with his wife? Contentment, probably, certainly. The rest of the disciples, probably the same. Their life, in a human sense, would have been a lot happier. By following Jesus, they put up with struggles. They put up with fear. They put up with persecution. Most of them had to go through death and martyrdom. There is no happiness. It's not all ice cream and puppy dogs. It's a very harsh story. And for so many Christians in the world, certainly, it is the absolute truth for where they're at now. To be a Christian is to be persecuted. To be a Christian is to be martyred. To be a follower of Christ is to put all at risk. And I would love to say to anyone here today who perhaps is even on the edge of church that being a follower of Christ will make you incredibly happy. I would love to say that if you become a follower of Christ, you will stop having problems. I would love to say that if you become a follower of Christ, you will be rich. I would love to say that in the plates come round in a moment, if you put in £10, I guarantee you're going to get 20 this week. It's a load of rubbish. It's not going to happen. I would love to say that when you become a Christian, your kids are going to be well behaved all the time. I would love to say that you're never going to argue with your wife or husband again. I would love to say that your life is going to be brilliant, but I can't make that guarantee. The simple truth is life as we know it in a human sense is completely and utterly unfair. And anyone who will tell you that your life will be blessed upon blessing and you will have riches and wealth and all of these things and happiness by following, being a follower of Jesus, I'm afraid to say is lying. There are no guarantees of that human, earthly happiness. But there is a guarantee of spiritual joy. There is a guarantee of the knowledge that you are welcome, that you are saved, that you are worth it. There is a guarantee of the knowledge that Jesus, God himself, died for your sins. There is the knowledge that you are forgiven. There is the knowledge that whatever you suffer here on earth, 
and it's only for a time on earth because there is a gift of eternal life. There is the knowledge that whatever you go through, good and bad, the Lord is with you. There is the knowledge that you will never fall too low. God will still forgive you. God will still save you. And there is the knowledge that God, the God who created all things, is on your side. And that might not breed happiness in an earthly sense. That not might equate to a worldwide cruise or a Ferrari. But all those things are perishable. All those things will pass away. All those things are of the earth. The spiritual rewards are so much greater. Being a Christian, being a missionary for Christ will not make you happy, perhaps. But it will bring all the blessings that there are. If you are looking for happiness, if you are looking for wealth, you've come to the wrong place. But if you are looking for eternal life, if you are looking for salvation, if you are looking for something more, if you are looking for meaning, this is the place to be. The third reason why being a follower of Christ can be a bit rubbish is so often we don't see the fruit of what it is that we want to see. Abraham was called to be a father of a nation. And indeed, he grew to be the father of a nation. Today, we read about him in the scriptures because he was such a special, remarkable man. But when he died, he didn't see all that coming about. He didn't see the great nation that would form in his name that he would be the father of. He wouldn't see all the blessings that would come. For him, during his time on earth, he wouldn't see the Messiah that would come out of his family life to bring redemption to the world. He wouldn't see the fruit of the calling that he was given by the Lord. But he carried on anyway. And the truth for us is, so often, the fruit of what we do here on earth, we don't see. We won't see the rewards of everything Hannah Green down here is a big historian and she works for the church and she'll often laugh about the church here being built and opened in 1890 and how much those who were here at the open those days would probably laugh themselves at the thought that we were still here today, thinking that this building would probably have fallen down or something by this time. They never saw the fruit of what it was to come. And so often we don't see the fruit of what we do a conversation that we might have with a person, even a smile that we give to a person, a, an act of kindness, a helping touch. We seldom see the fruit of what it is that we labor for. So often we want to see the gospel proclaimed and a thousand people come to faith there and then. And it does happen from time to time, but often it doesn't. Often you can say something to somebody and they'll go away and have a bit of a think about it and maybe come back later. You can pray for someone and later on they might realise that they've been prayed for. And that doesn't always fit in with our own expectations 
because we want to see the investment of what we do return to us. We want to see that our labor isn't in vain. We want to see that our effort isn't meaningless. We want to see the fruit of what we sow here and now. But often, and especially when it comes to be a missional church, we don't see those things. And the things that we do today, we won't always see the benefit today. The things that we do today may have benefit in years and years to come. Today we prayed and we dedicated and we gave thanks to God for the life of Toby and Ezra, these two beautiful little boys. When we dedicate them to the Lord, we didn't expect them today to go out with those Bibles and proclaim the gospel on the streets. It'd be great, but we didn't expect that to happen. But our prayer is that the fruit of the Lord will grow in them, that he will come to know him, and as years go by, that fruit will continue to bear more fruit. We don't always see the goodness of what God is doing. But that should never be a motive to stop doing what we're doing. Sometimes we do things in church and we think that was pointless. We do things in church and we think, oh, that's a complete and a waste of time. We do things in church and we go, oh, why on earth did we do that? And then occasionally we'll be reminded of why we do these things. Just before Christmas, I had a phone call from a young guy who's about to go to university. And I was a bit confused because he came from Bridgend and I was there as a curate many years ago. And this kid was a young kid in primary school and he came to be christened, baptised in church. And I did it, one of probably 50 I did in that year, thought nothing of it. And he just phoned me up and said, oh, Reverend Kai, Reverend Kai, just to let you know I'm going to university now and yeah, I believe in Jesus. What happened on that day that I probably dismissed in my mind as just another thing, bore incredible fruit in his life, which continues to be born today. And I cried my blinking eyes out, just to the thought of this kid, who I came across, and what the amazing things that God had done through him. We don't always see the blessing, but that doesn't mean we don't stop working for the blessing. Being a follower of Christ is not a guarantee of anything. It is not a guarantee of happiness. It is not a guarantee of, of seeing this fruit. It is not a guarantee that we can just do anything we want. It takes effort. It takes time. It takes energy. But just to let you know, I think it's worth it as well. And is being a Christian rubbish? When you look at it from a human sense, absolutely. But when you look from a, from a spiritual sense, no way. It is the greatest thing that there is. The gospel is the greatest message that is preached to the world. The Bible is the greatest book that is given to the world. The story of the Jesus is, quite rightly, the greatest story ever told. Our salvation is the greatest gift we will ever be given and is the greatest gift that we can share as well. For Abraham, his life wasn't easy. It did take sacrifice. It did lead to trouble. 
It did lead to problems. And he never saw the fruit of what was to come. But guess what? He still responded to God's call. And he still went forward. And today, the Lord is calling each and every one of us. No matter how young, no matter how old, no matter how cynical, no matter how long we've been around church, no matter if we're new to faith, to be a missionary is name, to be an Abraham, to respond to his call and to be part of his redemptive plan for the world, to be part of the seeing of God's kingdom be built, to be part of seeing the Lord come again, to be part of saying to Satan, you've got no place here, to be part of the goodness of God, to see the world made a better place because of Jesus. You are called. Today, receive that calling. And even though it does look a bit rubbish on paper, it is the greatest thing that there is. Receive that calling and be blessed in the name of Jesus. Amen.